Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we go down to Costa Rica, a beautiful nation just south of the United States where the weather is always good, the people are always friendly, and the work is really efficient. In fact, today we're going to talk about setting up a call center in Costa Rica and why you don't need to do that because there's already one waiting there for you. My guest today is Richard Blank. He's the CEO of Costa Rica's call center and he's going to share with us how easy it is for you to offshore the tedious stuff that you can't hire people to do here in the United States. This is going to be a great show. I can't wait to bring you Richard Blank. So without further ado, please welcome Richard to... There we go. The Inside BS Show. Richard, welcome. It's so great hey. to have you here. Good morning to you. Good morning to your audience. And as we say in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. I'm very All happy right. to be here today. Oh, it's so great to have you. So, Richard, first, we let's start by having you explain to people uh, some of the um, some of the unique qualities of Costa Rica because I visited Costa Rica, I shared with you probably 21 or 22 years ago. And before I visited, I didn't know very much about Costa Rica. Explain to folks some of the really unique characteristics of that country. Well, not only are we a powerhouse in the uh, call center industry, but we have an incredible labor force. We have a 95% literacy rate here. So there's no standing army. All that money was put back into education. We have the best infrastructure in Central America. We are below Nicaragua, north of Panama. A lot of people think we're an island, but no, we're right there, smack dab, right in Central America. We're very close to the United States, so our proxemics on a direct flight is just a couple hours. We're very attuned to the North American market, so a lot of people have lived in the United States, have family in the United States, or there's a lot of expatriates that live here, including myself who's an expatriate for the last 21 years. And their skill set here is incredible. Besides them being bilingual, they also have very high skills in regards to IT, customer support, lead generation, appointment setting, and even non-voice omni-channel support. So companies such as HP, Intel, Oracle, and Amazon have a very, very large presence here in Costa Rica for, for many reasons, but you know personally from being here and me being here for 21 years, it's, it's a beautiful life. And the people here are very cultured and educated and kind, and it reflects over our phone calls. So I believe that's why a lot of our agents show very high levels of success. Yeah, you know, Richard, my... Um my biggest takeaway from my time in Costa Rica related to the people was that, and my, my friends here in Miami are going to kill me for saying this, but it is the God's honest truth. People in Costa Rica speak better English than the people in Miami. <laughs> it's just the facts that I'm not, I'm not saying anything that's, that's not true. The people in Costa Rica are extremely well-educated. I, the healthcare system is excellent, correct? It's for, for people who retire there, the healthcare is fantastic. Absolutely. There's a lot of medical tourism. And I believe you were mentioning to having more of a neutral tone in regards to some other Latino countries. So, yes, we've been known to have a certain sort of accent that could be more relatable compared to, let's say, offshoring in India or the Philippines where it's more noticeable. 
But as I say before, Spanish will be the most spoken language in the United States, if not today, very soon. So the fact that these agents here, as you say, are structured and disciplined, and they show the cognitive skills to become bilingual, which takes a lot of work. I get these individuals that are walking through the door already showing me something. And so what I try to do, and I think you'll agree with this because you've been here, I will focus on not just their grammar, but more their vocabulary. We look in the thesaurus so we can choose certain words that would be more appropriate for a phone call or for customer support, so we can do a first call resolution. Because just by saying the word help, Dave, you know this, that could open up so many rabbit holes. It's better to say assist, lend a hand, or guide somebody. And so under my direction, that's where I take this delicate second language of theirs and use our experience being an Anglo-Saxon and growing up in the United States and giving them the ability to be able to communicate more properly with the sort of clients that we have in the United States. Yeah, you know, my, um, so I, where I live in Miami is, I, I live uh, probably 15, not even, maybe 10 miles from the western border of Miami-Dade County, uh, you know, heading toward the western part of Florida. And this particular area is, uh, was settled by uh, a lot of Cubans. So when we go to the supermarket, where in my neighborhood, we, more than likely, we speak Spanish. Um, when we go to get our car washed, we speak Spanish. When we uh, go to the doctor's office and, the, and the, the receptionist greets us, she'll greet us in Spanish. She speaks English and Spanish. But it's just the, it's the dominant language here in, in my neighborhood. Now, when you get toward, the, toward Miami Beach, it's a tourist area. So people there will, you know, th the default there will be English. But the... the specific reason that my family and I moved to this part of Florida is because we wanted a, a culturally diverse experience for our kids. My kids go to a bilingual school. Um, they speak English half the day. They speak Spanish half the day. They speak Spanish with um, their grandmother on my wife's side. They speak English with my parents. And they have tested out. My son is in seventh grade. He's tested out of high school Spanish. My daughter is two years behind him. She's tested out of high school Spanish. So they're taking other languages now in school. My, my point about that is we were kind of forward thinking and we, we understand the global nature of the workforce today. And I think 20 years ago when I visited Costa Rica, it was like a novelty to offshore your call center. Now, I think nobody, nobody would even think twice. And in fact, you may have people in Texas who have a heavier, uh, you know, who have a heavier accent than people in Costa Rica. So I don't think it makes any difference today. I don't think people would be put off in any way as long as they can get the level of service that they're accustomed to. Richard, but before we get into the details of all the types of services you provide and how you do that, tell us your story. How did you come to, you know, you've been in Costa Rica for 20 plus years. How did you come to be in Costa Rica in the first place? Well, my story began in Northeast Philadelphia when I graduated Abington High School. You were very fortunate, uh, Dave, because in my family, my grandparents were speaking Romanian, Russian, Polish, and German. And so I'm the first person in my family that decided that Spanish should be my major. All of my friends were going to Ivy League and they were studying law and medicine and architecture, engineering, or 
Going into their family's business, I chose to double down on languages and go to the University of Arizona. I chose a communication major, which made it a lot of fun for those five years, but I also realized that I could pick up public speaking skills, rhetoric skills, and nonverbal communication, microexpression reading skills. I was able to get an internship at Telemundo. Jay Cohn was kind enough to give me in 1995 and 96, my senior and super senior year. I worked for promotions and public relations at Telemundo in Tucson. There I was able to meet, and this is dating myself, gentlemen by the name of Pedro Sesek and Miguel Quitana. One was in charge of the news out of Los Angeles and the other had the main talk show in Miami across from Christina from Univision. And so imagine a 22-year-old boy that is doing public speaking events with these players, these professional men that have made it, and have taken the time to mold my confidence and to give me the self-assurance to stand in front of 5,000 people at a Tucson Toros baseball game and do a Javelina Cantina chili-eating contest. And so given these opportunities at a young man, it molded my confidence that I could do it, and I knew that I could do it in two languages. And so post-grad, I landed a job that was for the importers of Corona beer. So I worked that in the southwest of the United States, and that was incredible. And when I was 27, I had the opportunity to move to Costa Rica for a couple months to do some training at a friend of mine from college, his call center. And as you know, when you fly here and you're here, you fall in love with Costa Rica. So everything of mine got put in storage. If you can get past your parents' guilt, Dave, you can live anywhere in the world. And I decided to take a chance. I worked at my friend's call center for four years. And this was back in the day when we were making calls with Cisco phones and printouts of Excel sheets with highlighter pens. And it was a young environment. It was a fun environment, a, a bilingual environment of, of artists of speech. And I got to see the highs and the lows and the gripes and the successes of it. But between me and you, I also saw areas of improvement and the areas of improvement that I saw the most was how people are treated. Not saying my friend didn't do a good job, an amazing job, but a lot of people felt like numbers, or they felt like robots. And my other friends and supervisors from other call centers tell me that sometimes agents are not properly onboarded, or they're not prepared, or the scripts are shoddy with spelling and grammar mistakes and maybe some over-aggressive language that you would see in a Glengarry Boiler Room Wolf of Wall Street movie that might be completely out of character for somebody here because we're, we're in a very strict Catholic country, Dave, and these young men and women have to go home and tell their parents what they do for a living. So we are extremely selective of the campaigns that come in. Not, not only can I fulfill your needs, but I gotta make sure I don't have an attrition rate. And I gotta make sure that the, that the agents that come in that we invest in, that are able to stay here and build upon that. So we just don't waste that. And so my thoughts about how I got here, you don't say you're gonna be a call center CEO for a major in college or when you're seven years old, you tell that to your mother. But I definitely knew this. I was the only one out of my group of friends that could speak Spanish well. And not only that, but every job I had, I was the one that could go out to the Southwest Phoenix when I was selling telecommunications and sell a T1 to somebody and translate it for my supervisor. And I knew I had something that was different. And it was wonderful for me because I enjoyed it and that I was embraced. I might have had a grammar mistake in my subjunctive tense, but people would invite me and correct me and feed me. 
and then recommend me to 10 of their friends. So why do you think that every environment that I was in when I was able to make these calls in Spanish, that I ran the board? I could do it in English, and I did. But I also did it in Spanish. I could double gun it. I did two boards, English and Spanish. My point being is that you can show this sort of first impression respect, Dave, when not only are you bilingual, but so am I. And we're doing this without even knowing each other yet. And so it really assisted me in having these sort of engagements and finding a lot of these things in common and really reduced any sort of defense or anger or setting a tone of aggression. That, that was eliminated immediately when I knew exactly what to say. And, and these are going to be some of the additional selling techniques we'll talk about later and stuff. But my friend, I just wanted to discuss with you the ethics of how I am and how I was raised. I'm, when someone calls me a salesman and I take that as a compliment, I might look and sound like one. But Dave, I'm an educator. I don't ever force a hand. From an educated point of view, my clients, my agents, my friends, and anyone I relate to then makes a decision. And I feel that if given the chance to explain how I feel and to answer their questions, everybody can leave with something on the table. I, I think it's a wonderful way to start relationships. Yeah, I love I love what you said there. You know, we teach people, uh, we being me, the people that I work with, we we teach people that selling is helping, and nobody knows that you can help them unless you tell them, right? They don't know who you are, they don't know what you do. They invited you in for a reason, so you have to let them know how you can help them. And then if they say no, they say no. It, that's just that's just the way it is. So and. The, the quote, I think it was a Jim Rohn quote that nothing happens until somebody sells something is never more true, right? Nothing, nothing gets started in any business anywhere in the world until somebody goes to somebody else and says, would you like assistance in this area in exchange for financial compensation? That's, it, really, it really is that easy. But, you know, Richard, the thing I want to really um, bring out from, you know, from your commentary there, and you said so many important things, but one of the most important things, at least from me looking at the, the labor force now, let's just take here, here in the United States is, uh, and I, I just, I just had this conversation with my niece who's graduating high school and going to college. The, it used to be like when I, so when I worked, I worked in the hotel industry for 12 years. And when I worked in the hotel industry in New York, it was kind of a nice to have if somebody else, if you spoke Spanish, if you spoke a different language. Well, my, my Spanish became great working in the hotel industry. It was fantastic. You know, between the folks in housekeeping, the folks in engineering, uh, the folks in the laundry, the folks in the dish room, the servers, the, you know, the people who were working at the front desk, everyone was they were thrilled to see the white boy making an effort to speak Spanish. And they were, you were 100% right, more than willing to take you out for a beer and help you with your verb conjugation, right? Take you out for a beer and explain what that phrase that the Dominicans used that everybody else didn't use meant, right? And those are the, the subtleties of the language, the nuances of the language 
are the thing that's really, really cool. So when you, when back in those days, 20 years ago, it was a nice to have, it was a novelty for someone who wanted to advance in the corporate world to speak English and Spanish. Today, it is the price of entry. You can't really work anywhere unless you can communicate in English and in Spanish because the 60% of the labor force these days here in the United States speaks Spanish. But even more importantly now, your customers, half, about half of your customers would be more comfortable doing business with you more than likely in Spanish in Florida, in Texas, in Arizona, in New Mexico, in California, you know, and it's, and it's, it's pervasive everywhere. I was just in Chicago last week and I'm having a conversation with some folks in the hotel and I picked up an accent and I switched to Spanish and they were just blown away. And it was like, I was, I was their favorite guest all of a sudden because I was making an effort. So my point is it used to be great. It used to be a novelty now it is essential. And this is the conversation that we have with our kids. This is the conversation I have with anybody who's willing to listen because it's the, you're, you're in the next 10 years, 65, 70% of, uh, of our country is going to be uh, folks who speak another language. And the majority of those folks will probably be Spanish speaking. So, you know, I think that you're providing a great service because it's going to be a competitive advantage because you can probably do it better and less expensive than we could do it here in the United States. And I think that your agents who are, who are taking calls from the United States will probably be taking an equal number of calls in English and Spanish in 15 years from customers. I, I just, I see it happening. It's very interesting you, you bring that up because the certain key performance indicator, the KPI is talk time and also conversion ratios. There's two metrics that are increased by at least 20%. When you're on a phone speaking in Spanish with a client, the call goes longer. They make less calls that day, but their conversion ratio is higher. Obviously, it's their native tongue, or as you were mentioning about certain dichos and certain mannerisms that people use, they might be able to connect better with somebody on the phone speaking Spanish. I, I almost see it as like Popeye with spinach. Once they switch over to Spanish, all of a sudden they're calling you Don David or Don Ricardo. <laughs> and these are the sort of things where I can tell in regards to their tone and their rate and their pitch. They're pausing and their pregnant pausings and their follow-up tie-down questions that they're extremely comfortable, not only with the conversation, but with this client that they've only met just five minutes ago. They've already figured out 12 different things in common. So their me too technique is off the roof too. All right. So uh, talk to us about the, uh, the type of work you do. I think a lot of people who are listening, a lot of people who are watching, they think of when they think of a call center, they think of, you know, calling like the help desk to solve problems, but you do a lot more than that. So explain the spectrum of work that you do at Costa Rica's call center. Many different profiles that we have here, and that's an excellent question, Dave. We, we're very flexible. If there's non-voice support, you can have people that are just answering emails or just doing chat support. Then you have people that are inbound customer support, which is what you're usually used to calling any sort of company. We also have certain agents that are capable of doing outbound lead generation and appointment setting for people. My favorite is a hot lead transfer one. Get it while the lead is hot. And then you have the, the aces, you got the closers. 
they're very competitive down here and they're in high demand. So uh, once again, I kind of see them as mercenaries. They'll just jump to the best deal and you might not keep them long. So I usually like to feel most comfortable around a level one customer support, lead generation and appointment setting, and then avoid, uh, eventually we can mold them into being salespeople on the phone. Uh, these individuals, it's very important that the client respects the labor laws here in Costa Rica because a lot of the times they will be asking for certain overtimes or certain adjustments that they need to understand. Um, you are dealing with another country and they have different types of rules here. So the best thing for us to do prior to working with the clients to let them know of our holidays that we have and the other things that might disrupt any sort of workflow. We also would like for them to know the sort of culture that we have here, not necessarily in Costa Rica, but at my call center. I don't like when supervisors write in bold or they write in red. I don't like cursing or screaming because you can bend them, Dave, but the worst thing we can do is break them. And it's not fair, not for our reputation for your project or even for the vibe of the project. The clients have to ensure that we have all the resources well before making phone calls. I gotta make sure that the station is set up. Do we log into you through a VPN? Are we using your CRM or our CRM? Our dialer, your dialer, list scrubbed, rebuttals, script? Do you have recordings for me? Who's doing the onboarding? Who's doing the training? What sort of quality assurance and QA scores do you have there? So, and it's okay, Dave, if I've worked with people before that don't know the, the terminology or the QA forms or onboarding, that's my pleasure because my resources are your resources. And anytime I can uh, educate a client and guide them through a quality assurance form on what we should be looking for from the agent, then you and I see consistency. So your sales cycle gets a little bit shorter, you build your pipeline more, you're closing more on first calls, and when we're listening to these calls, you and I will be able to deduct where our strengths or their areas of focus, where we were dropping the ball on the rebuttal, on the pause, or the tell signs. So my class here is not just a bilingual person taking a script and making calls. I am very, very uh, strict in regards to representing our clients in the best light. I'm very selective of the tone that we have on the call. It's always empathetic and confident. And then I always teach my agents how to do these sort of micro expression reading on the phone. So when they allow the client to talk or then it's our turn to interject to be able to do a follow up. And I've seen that our conversion ratios just by not uh, having a hedge for an example where somebody says, um, okay, or just wonderful, great, when someone's answering a question. Dave, you know it's much more to your advantage for someone not to repeat. Let us repeat it. Let us do it for our clarification, if it's A, B, C, or one, two, three. And the same thing goes, my friend, when there's a bad cell phone connection, a dog barking music, because people are working from home now. That's to our advantage twice. We can get things in the background to have things in common and inadvertently and passive aggressively, I can tell you how much I love your dog, which is pretty much a hint to you know, have them quiet down. But it also gives me a chance to be able to work with these clients in that certain way, to be able to move that conversation forward and to understand how they speak. I always believe in active listening because a lot of the times the people are just moving things forward um, in case there might be some sort of family situation or a business promotion, a lot of people just skip through that. 
they should pause for a moment, they should celebrate with them or should they pay condolences. And the one thing that I'm really missing on these calls is when people give positive escalations. You have a business associate, MJ, that does a wonderful job, written me multiple times with the emails just to make sure that we were locked in today. A plus. So there's a lot of people, a lot of team behind Dave Lorenzo and Richard Blank. And so I want your business strategy and marketing strategy to take very much into consideration all those that answer calls, filter calls, and that may be able to give you company culture or might be able to tell you about a promotion or might just get real with you for a minute. And then when you're at that stage of the call, Dave, then it's not selling anymore. Then it's really just uh, strangers or friends you haven't met yet. So now you're just really hanging out with somebody and just finding ways to meet in the middle. I agree. I think that's terrific. Richard, I want you to I want you to take a minute and think about this. And then when we come back, give us kind of a um, give us a case study. And you don't have to tell us the name of the client. Of course, obviously, I don't want you to betray any confidences. But give us a uh, give us a case study of a company that you work with. Uh, and some of the things that you do for them there in Costa Rica. And you know, I, I want I want you to give us one where our listeners will go, hmm, I, and they wouldn't be able to tell the difference that it was done in Costa Rica compared to the United States, or maybe after you tell them, they'll be able to tell the difference because it was probably done better <laughs> in Costa Rica. So take a minute and think about that. And while you're doing that, I need to remind our listeners, remind our viewers that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors for over 35 years. Sandrowski has helped people all over the United States with their accounting needs. Now, here's the thing about Sandrowski that I really focus on when I'm talking to you every day about them. Sandrowski works with privately held companies and they also work with individual families of wealth. Now, why do they focus on these areas? Well, you're going to say, hey, listen, they focus on families of wealth because those people have money. And you're going to say, well, they work with privately held companies because, you know, they have money too. And that's partially true. But the rest of the truth is that privately held companies, particularly companies that do in revenue between, say, $5 million and $100 million in annual revenue, that's kind of a, a sweet spot for Sandrowski because they're still a little too small for the big four accounting firms. And there are some special nuances in the U.S. tax code that Sandrowski can really help you take advantage of if your company is of that size. You've heard me talk before, if you listen to the show, about the qualified small business uh, stock exemption. And this is something that Sandrowski really excels at. One of the things that Sandrowski has been able to do for their clients is when a client determines that they have a five-year time horizon for selling their business, Sandrowski will come in and they'll look at the way the business is organized. And then they will analyze whether or not their company qualifies for a small business stock exemption. If the company does qualify, if they're in specific industry type and they have a revenue that is below 50 million in annual revenue, Sandrowski will reorganize the company so that in five years when the company is sold, the owner of the company, regardless of whether it's a partial sale or a full sale, will be able to shelter a huge portion of the capital gains from taxes. Harry Sandrowski, uh, the, the managing partner of the firm, and I were talking last week, and he told me a story about how he saved someone $10 million in taxes. The gentleman sold his company for $49 million. Harry was able to save him $10 million in capital gains taxes because he had organized his 
company appropriately five years prior. If you're thinking about selling your business or you just want to reduce your tax exposure and you have a privately held company, you need to call this number. 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. That's the number for Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Call them today. They're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So you know I work with professionals and I help them with business development. I help them with sales. I help them with marketing. I use a plan to do that and I call it my revenue roadmap. Well, I'm going to give it to you for free. It's my gift to you for watching, for listening to the show. Here's what you need to do. Go to this website, write it down. If you're driving, pull over, type it into your phone, revenueroadmapguide.com. Put all those words together, revenueroadmapguide.com. When you enter your contact info, you can download the same guide I use with my clients. You customize it for your firm just the way I customize it for my clients. It's my gift to you for listening to the show, for watching the show today. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com right now. Enter your contact info. Get your free business development plan. My guest today is Richard Blank. He's the CEO of Costa Rica's Call Center. You can call Richard at 888-271-6750. That's 888-271-6750. I'm also putting his email in the show notes for you if you want to shoot him an email. He's very responsive. He'll probably respond back to you as soon as you hit the send button. All right, Richard. So before we went to that break, I asked you to think of a case study for us. Have you come up with one? I have. In fact, I can make it easy for you. I could do it across all verticals. How does that sound? So it applies to every account that I have. I always have an answer for that. A couple things we can do. The first thing is there are certain words that you have because the vowels in Spanish and English could give away. So we write certain words out phonetically for them. Even though they need to know how to spell it properly, that can eliminate any sort of confusion or any sort of guessing. The second thing is, let's say for an example that we're representing a company that's out of Chicago in a certain suburbs. What we like to do with a lot of the times is just take a Google map right around the block and just to see the local pizza parlors, the parks, the churches, and what's going on around there. So instead of just giving a specific direction, we can talk about Mike's Pizza, which everybody knows more than anything. And finally, we we have to ensure that if people do follow up or even subcategory questions that we need to have every single sort of vocabulary for that account. Doesn't mean that we need to have it memorized, but we should have a glossary of terms. So just if something comes up, we're skilled enough to say that's an excellent question, Dave, and we could look it up while we're answering that question for you. Many people are capable of doing that. So as long as we're on a level playing field and we're given all the resources to, as you say, make it assume, like we're in the United States and we know what the shore is and cheese fries and things like that, then uh, maybe tell us a couple more local flavors that we have or things that we should be aware of. And those are the sort of calls that we make to the people where it sounds like we have more in common with them and we know where we're going. It's a simple example like what we're calling businesses. Instead of just saying, how are you? A lot of the times we'll ask, hey, how's Costa Rica's call center doing today? In the tens of thousands of calls I've analyzed, we find that company name spike technique by asking about a company or organization. A lot of people have responded with, you've been here before, are you an alumni? Sounds like you know where you're going. You can parlay that with an extension or a person's name, and so you're riding on that sort of high of familiarity, and they'll be able to transfer you over. I always believe that lying on the phone is not ethical. I'm not saying I'm lying, and I'm not saying that we're being slick. There's nothing wrong with being clever. 
And as long as you say a person's name a certain way, or a company's name a certain way with your anonymity, they can kind of maybe reduce the fact that you're a telemarketer or you're selling something, and you make a different sort of first impression approach. And so these are the sort of things that enable us to prolong our conversations to at least increase our odds of a conversion ratio. I could give you 50 tips and tricks today, but we don't have as much time to go over that. But I think the most important thing, my, my friend Dave, and thank you so much for you and your audience's time, is that I think the first 30 seconds of the phone call is ideal. You need to, once again, not be egocentric. You need to put that company first. And by saying their names and being polite to those that answer the phone and making sure that they get credit when you are transferred or have given you information, and you should especially do that when you do a follow-up letter because you're probably separating yourself, Dave, from a thousand other people. And I've had the secretary or gatekeeper say, you know, thank you very much for that positive escalation. I got a raise or I got acknowledged or it just made me feel good. After 30 years, you're the first person to say that. So of course they're waiting for my call to transfer it for the close. And I believe in Wu Wei. Why have resistance? Do at least resistance. Allow the wind and the current to take you. So any sort of friction and forced motion is not natural. I think that if I can gain their confidence in the beginning and show very nice uh, reserved side where I can still close a deal, but I'm not gonna do it like you see in the movies. I can, but that's out of character for me. And if I'm looking to have long-term relationships with people, it's not a one and a done. I wanna get referred. I want Dave, you, and my network together to grow as well. And as I say before, coming on your show today, I wanted to share with you certain things that enabled me to be in business for 14 years and running this call center. If I were not able to do these sort of baseline ethics, morals sort of phone calls for my clients, this would have never worked out. And um, if anything of nothing, taking that away today is that if you, if you reject more than you accept, if you stand tall to your beliefs and you do things to make your great-grandparents proud, you're going to preserve, you're going to last, you'll have the endurance, you'll make it through the tough times. Because those are the times you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, is this still worth it? Well, it is worth it. I have a luxury trade. This should have never happened. The fact that I'm here in Costa Rica for 21 years and I have a company with my wife after 14 years, it's a long shot from Northeast Philadelphia. So I smile every day. I've learned to do that. And I've learned to give my agents dignity and to know every single one of their names and to break bread with them. And I have the largest collection of pinball here. When you visit me, you'll see. So it's free play. They can play pinball with me. Go to the Pac-Man machine. Make yourself comfortable here. Because that's my goal in a call center environment, which is a grind, is, is to be the opposite. This is not a boiler room. This could be a career for these young men and women. They could build it like me. And if I could be the last boss they ever have, maybe, when they move on, they can know every agent's name and keep that sort of tradition that I have, Dave. That's terrific. I love that. Um, Richard, there's, there's two, uh, two questions that stand out for me before, before we finish up that I have to ask you about. And the first is, do you think 
because um, because being uh, being a um, being a, an associate at a call center, being a rep at a call center in Costa Rica is a noble, good, uh, well-respected profession. Is there less call reluctance? Is there is there less hesitancy uh, among folks in that culture, whether it's the culture of the country or the culture you've created in your call center? Is there less hesitancy? for the reps to get on the phone and to do business on the phone. Because one of the things I find here is 20, 30 year executives, when I tell them, hey, listen, you got, you know, an inquiry just came in. You need to see what it's like to talk to people on the front lines. I want you to call these customers, call these five customers on the phone. The executives are like, you, you want me to do what? You want me to, like, there's, there's tremendous call reluctance among people, you know, even at the senior levels of a company, if they haven't had any interpersonal interaction or if there hasn't been interpersonal interaction over the years you, in all your experience at, at call centers have you been able to, to to create a culture where it's just normal to pick up the phone and you know can't I can't wait to call people I don't know and start relationships with them is that have you have you been able to overcome that with your folks it really hasn't been that much of an issue here. The main issue I have is getting rid of their bad habits from, from the sports books, casinos, stocks, pharmacies, and sweepstakes. Wow. Those yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. So they were, so they were working in other places on the phone before they came to you and they have those bad habits. I see. Those are five accounts, Dave, that I do not do here. And those are some of the accounts where I can get some of these star salesmen that come here, not saying it's ethical or not ethical. I choose just not to do it. Yeah. Okay. And so some people might've come from an environment or thought about that sort of environment because the money is great. But that's okay. There's many different ways you can earn money. That's their decision. So when they come to me, there's no reluctance to be on the phone. These are public speakers, as you say in Spanish, portavoz or locator. These are people that are wonderful speakers. My thing is to eliminate the fear. It's a morbid anticipation of something that haven't happened yet. Learning a second language is 10 times harder doing this. And if I can properly prepare them, then it reduces any sort of fear. If I can answer any of their questions and prior to making a single phone call, doing a two hour soft skills training class with me, once again, it takes them from a 10 to a two. The rest is just practice. And as long as I can listen to some of their recordings and discuss with them certain soft skills in regards to pausing, in regards to tie down and pin down questions, confirmations, military alphabet, which I highly recommend for anybody. Why? Because half the people have served or know someone that's served. So that's another beautiful Me Too technique to be able to land the plane. And so these are the, every time I add something to them, their fear reduces and they get more self-reliant and self-confident. And then all of a sudden they're knocking on my door saying, hey, Richie, I got my third one today. And you know I love that sort of stuff. I love walking the rows, Dave. I love knowing their names and stopping and listening to them pitch and giving them a thumbs up and telling them why they're artists of speech and why it's beautiful because everyone is texting these days, which could be misinterpreted. Yeah. When yeah, if you right. not only speak with somebody, but use choice vocabulary and really, you could really express yourself better. And so I see it as being a lost art. That's why I'm so excited and what drives me to do this is because I made a living off playing with speech. 
Yeah. So let me let me ask you this: uh, the it, does it make it harder because you you mentioned they're working from home now, right? So is it does it make it harder for you as the as the leader because you're you know you you're an inspirational person you really care I you know we can tell just from the short period of time we've spoken that you really care about the folks that work with you. Does it make it harder for you to kind of pump them up? Because I know that myself working from home, like today, today's a perfect example. You know, my interaction with you today is probably the fourth or fifth time I've talked to another person because today here in my home office, it's just me and the dogs. My, my wife had something to do all day. My kids are in school. So, you know, I finish up with you. I'll talk to the dogs. They don't talk back. I may talk to one other person <laughs> until everybody comes home. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Richard, it's not, it's not as fulfilling as talking to other people during the course of the day. So for you... Is it is it more difficult to keep their training at a high level? Because now I would imagine that it's asynchronous, right? You're listening to them in recordings, you're making notes, and then maybe you do a Zoom with them and you say, hey, you know, Joe, I was listening to this recording on the phone. Let's play it together. You play it. You know, here's what I would have said here. And it's not real time anymore. Is it more difficult for you because... I would imagine many of them are still working from home. And then are you going to bring them back in so that you can have that collegial environment again? Excellent question. I'll give you the quick pros and cons and legally what we had to do. When COVID hit, we were allowed to have 50% of our people in the office. I sent about 70% home to give myself a 20% buffer in the office for onboarding, PCI compliance, or if someone has a redundancy, electricity, or, or hardware problem, they can jump onto a station. It's just me. I'm a coach. I'm not sensitive, but I love my people. And I love walking the roads. And I felt like that was my special sauce. And that was taken away from me from COVID. But let's talk about the pros. They're in a much better head. They're closer to their family. They're saving tons of money as long as their work environment is professional. They're, as I say before, they're much more relaxed on the phone. Their metrics are, are incredible. It's just a camaraderie of having lunch with people and just missing them. But no, we've increased our, our channels of communication, but this is the one thing I really got this. You have an excellent background. You see my um, yeah, cola and my candy machine, but you get to see how a lot of people are living and you get to see what's in their background. So the one thing I would have never gotten from here is some of their interests and what makes them proud. So I might lose it physically standing next to somebody, but I think I've gained three times the sort of knowledge about what makes somebody tick. So on a rainy Wednesday, I can motivate them or I can compliment their, their stuffed bunny rabbit in the corner and tease them for a minute. And um, that might break the ice too. But no, check this out. The fact that I take the time with a suit to Zoom call them and to maybe discuss a five minute call with them, that's something that you almost get more points for by showing that extra effort than you would just standing next to them and smiling while they're on the phone with Mrs. Jones. So I think I get a lot more mileage out of it. I think they're a lot more appreciative. I think the lack of communication that we have, because it's so sparse, when you do have a chance to speak with somebody, it's more enriching. And so maybe as a boss, or maybe as a leader, mentor, or possibly in these tough moments, Dave, as a friend, we all were able to get through COVID together. I got a lot of friends where their business went out of business. Yeah. Oh, me too. And the fact that I'm still standing and you're still standing, you know, right on, man. Yeah. Right on. 
No, so I, I appreciate humble, that. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Is that is that going to be a permanent part of your um, of your say employment offering? Now there'll be certain people that you know, even when the government opens up completely, you'll you'll allow them to work from home because maybe they're in a place that's an hour and a half car ride or bus ride away, and they're excellent, so they can work from home because their particular job is fine at home or do you plan on bringing everybody back at some point i'm open for everything but there's one thing i have to ask for a new hire you got to spend a little time with me i'll send yeah. you home yeah. but my goodness gracious can you please come in the office for a day yeah. or at least a week yeah so we can sit together we can i can send you home with my computer if it's not if yours but it's not even that can I at least have some pizza with you one day? Can I train you a little bit? Can I stand next to you when you make a phone call so I can be proud of you? Can you meet my supervisors? Can you meet my entire company? So at least you're not an independent, at least even though you're virtual, you're still part of my culture. That is my only prerequisite. You can go home as fast as you want, but you're gonna have to know me a little bit and I'd like to know you too. So maybe as I said before, and I will stress this, certain bad habits, or there may be certain areas where I could enhance their skills, make a suggestion or work on. Or maybe be, maybe, be that one coach, that parent or that best friend that they didn't have, Dave, that one guy at 50 years old that wears a suit and takes the time to get to know this agent. Maybe he will stay because of that. Maybe they might do dedicated practice after work because of that, so they come back to me the next day saying they practice recordings on their own. Nobody does that, but a few do that. And those usually are my future supervisors. Those are the ones that I promote from within. Dave, those are the ones who, whom I delegate and whom I grow with. So those are the sort of secrets or the inside BS, as you would say, <laughs> of my success. It's really about building foundation, my man. It's about having people that are willing to come work with me for another day. And it's very humbling. As I say before, I'm a guest in this country. I might have learned their language and I know their customs, but once again, I'm, I'm 3,000 miles away from my mother and my father. But I was embraced. And when I saw something that was positive, I realized I shed a skin that day. And I realized that back in 2008, in February 6th, when I closed my first account, it was only one seat for 50 hours. But my life changed that day, and I guess I was on a mission. And that's why we're here, because you can do this as long as you have good intentions and you have good faith. And remember the way that you were raised. People will accept you. It might take a little bit longer because you might need to learn other customs and cultures or the way. But once you crack those codes, Dave, it kind of seems to be easy after that. Oh, that's terrific. That's really great. All right, Richard, take a second and think of three things we should take away from our time together. Three things we want people to remember from our conversation today. While you're doing that, I want to remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. So if you want to reduce your tax exposure, you got to give Sandrowski a call. You can reach out to them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by my Revenue Roadmap Guide. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info, download your free business development plan today. It's my gift to you for listening to the show, for watching the show. Our guest today is Richard Blank. You can call him at Costa Rica's call center 
888-271-6750 or you can email him his emails down in the show notes all right richard what should our folks listening our folks watching what are the three things they should take away from our time together today first thing they should take away is that i'm very grateful for their time and thank you for listening to the entire podcast i know a lot of people like short segments hopefully i kept your attention but Anybody that wants to reach out to me just to say hello and just to touch base or have any sort of suggestions, be more than willing to take any call and just to say uh, and to meet some people. I'm hoping that people, after watching us today, will see that you can be self-confident in what you do and also you can assist others to become more self-reliant. Success is built on one million thank yous. And I believe that, like the bricks in the wall behind me in my building that I built, that you're capable of growing if you're assisting others first. And I've learned that. And I learned that the easy way, not the hard way, because that's how I was raised. And the third thing is, if you take these long shots and you take these risks, it can also pay off. I have a beautiful life here. As I mentioned before, I collect antiques. I bought a limousine, a 1984 Mercedes 300D for my clients and I restored that. I was able to build out a building for my call center. So all of my dreams have come true. And I think the most satisfying thing that I did was I was true to myself. Going back to Philadelphia and being a Spanish major and using that to being where I am today, obviously I had this vision as a young man that I, that I stuck behind. Most people quit 80% in, or there's a lot of naysayers that will say, don't do it. And these are the ones that love you the most and care about you the most. But you also have to stand firm. And you have to also have to look at yourself in the mirror every day. And what sort of man or woman do you want to see? And so I had to make sure that I could live with myself. And I'm very happy that I made these choices. And especially making a choice to be on this podcast today. So... Uh, Dave, thank you again. Oh, Richard. No, thanks to you. Senor, te lo agradezco. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on. I loved having this conversation with you. And we're going to have to have you back again to understand how you built a building and collect antiques in Costa Rica. I mean, there's so much. We didn't even go over my micro expression reading today. I promise we'll have you back. We'll make it a regular segment. Richard Blank, it was such a pleasure having you on. Folks, if you want to reach out to Richard, let me give you his number one more time. Call him at 888 271-6750-888-271-6750. That'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. My thanks to Richard Blank for joining us today. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another great interview. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.